Welcome to the Pre-Health Pod. My name is Lexi. And my name is Ryan. And we're a podcast brought to you by students for students who are here to meet you wherever you are in your pre-health cycle. As you know, I usually run this podcast with Sarah. The wonderful Sarah has gotten into PA school and she's actually starting in January. So unfortunately, she does have to step down from her role no. as co-host with the Pre-Health Pod for the next several months. Um, she may return when she's in her rotations for PA school. So the Pre-Health Pod is going to look a little different. However, I am interviewing some members on my team. I have a bunch of different friends who are also going through similar things and I also have a great relationship with. So don't worry, we'll find a co-host that will bring that same energy and style and excitement that Sarah has always brought. But she'll be back someday. So don't worry about that. But for now, I have the wonderful Ryan Rivard with me. You may remember him from our previous episode with him. He uh, runs the podcast Vitally Stable, a pre-health podcast. So if you run out of episodes to listen on us, um, go head over to Ryan's as well. And he's in PA school. So thank you so much, Ryan, for joining me. Oh, always good to be here. I'll, I'll be the stand-in fill-in for you until you can find an upgrade from me. So, but oh, excited to be back. Excited to be back. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And I know we were talking earlier, you're in your family medicine rotation. How's that going? It's going wonderful. I and we talked about this a little bit the last time we chatted, but family medicine yeah. just is kind of my world. Definitely been been a lot more fun here. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Um, that it's been a lot of fun. And yeah, I'm actually on the opposite. I think family medicine is really interesting, but I want to go into surgery. But like we said, the PA profession definitely knows best in general medicine. Absolutely. You know, that too. Absolutely. And I think that's awesome that you're interested in that field. Absolutely. Um, How's it going got, for you? Yeah. I just got back from work at my dermatology clinic, seeing a lot of skin cancer of different kinds. Some that are very good. treatable. A lot, most of them are very, very treatable. Good, good. So, yeah. If you guys need skincare advice, I like know a lot now. <laughs> <laughs> that's hey, a big hurt. That's great. Derm is my weakness over in PA school. So maybe I'll be oh, really? some questions. My, yeah, it's derm is not my field. It's not where I want to be. And it's kind of been the bane of my existence over here when you <gasps> simple tests. So maybe I'll be throwing you some questions here pretty soon. You know, I really like it. I really like the surgery part of it. And the cases are pretty interesting, but it is a lot of skin cancer evaluations for so like whole body skin checks and people coming in. The patient population is predominantly um, older as well. And I don't know if I want to work with predominantly older populations, you know, so I don't know, but I, I really enjoy it. The people at work are super nice. They're like, they're so nice. And we've had a bunch of birthdays recently and we go out to lunch together for their birthday and they're always bringing meals in like every day, just cakes and goodies and candies and that's type of work. Yeah, <laughs> definitely different from the emergency department, which was like. I never got a bathroom break or a lunch break. <laughs> Those don't exist in ED. That's the one thing I've learned from my rotations. Is yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah, other than the work, I've been having a pretty fun and exciting medical school application cycle. I've had one medical school interview, like you all know, and I just heard about two more. Awesome. Next Amazing. That I'm really excited about. So we'll see. I mean, there's we'll this see, one we'll school... I don't think I'll share it, but there is this one school that has a lot more opportunities because I have an interest in both infectious disease and mm -hmm. surgery. And I kind of want to do a little bit of like infectious disease research, 
and, you know, affiliated with like a surgical mentorship, for example, like, and it, like antibiotic um, resistance and mm-hmm. stewardship and stuff like that. And so there's one school that has like a lab for that. And I really am interested in that. So I, I'm really hopeful. But yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you'll get it. Just a matter of time, just a matter of doing the steps you need to do and staying positive. And I'm sure it'll happen here pretty soon. Yeah, I'm really hopeful. And if you're listening to this episode and need some tips and tricks about interviews for medical school or honestly PA school, they have I can some help too. questions. Yeah. <laughs> That's what Ryan is here for. Um, the only purpose here today. <laughs> it's the only purpose is to be the PA advocate. No, 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 that's not true. <laughs> it's kind of true, listeners. It's kind of true. <laughs> Dr. Nelson is our guest later today, and he is an expert about medical school interviews and all the different types. There's the multiple mini interview, and then there's the traditional, and some of them have a blend of both. So we're going to talk about that later today. And at the end of the episode, we'll do a couple examples for you all as well. So that's very fun. But yeah, I'll go ahead and transition to that part of the episode. So Let's see you do soon. It. All right. I'd love to welcome the wonderful Dr. Blair Nelson to the Pre-Health Pod. Dr. Nelson grew up in Grand Forks, North Dakota, and attended the University of North Dakota for his undergraduate degree, graduating summa cum laude in 1993. He also attended medical school at the University of Minnesota and graduated with Alpha Omega Alpha Honors in 1998. He completed his residency training at the Mayo Clinic in Arizona, where he was elected chief resident during his final year of training, and he practiced emergency medicine throughout North Dakota and Minnesota for the past two decades. During his clinical years, he was also the director of medical education for the ER and educated students from a myriad of institutions and clinical degrees, medical surgical residents, medical students, physician assistants, nurse practitioner students, nursing paramedic EMT students, and pre-medical shadows. He has a passion for teaching and helping students like all of you who are listening today and is dedicated to focus solely on this as he evolves to the next stage of his career. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Nelson. It's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, it's an honor to be here. I'm I'm really excited about this. Awesome. And I know Ryan, as I was uh, talking about the intro, he started dancing. <laughs> yes, representing the Midwest here. I, I as a University of Minnesota grad myself over at Augsburg, love seeing the the all the experience you have up there in the Midwest. We need more people like that. I appreciate that. Go Gophers. Heck yeah. <laughs> I know because Ryan, you went to UM. Yep, so I was an undergrad at the U of M and then now I'm at Augsburg. So I'm like across the street from the U of M. So I'm still very much in that area cheering on all those teams. My youngest daughter is actually in Middlebrook dorm right now. You can see Augsburg from her dorm. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Right <laughs> across the street. Exactly. Oh, that's world. awesome. I love that. Oh my gosh. What like a small world. It's, it's um, crazy. <laughs> I'm just all the way over here in Arizona. Hey, I missed Arizona. I wished I would still be in Arizona. It was the best. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you again, Dr. Nelson, for joining me. Dr. Nelson is actually one of my mentors and helped me a lot with preparing for my one of my medical school interviews during this application cycle. So I wanted to invite him on here to help all of you with your interviews that you may have now or in the next few years. So I'd love to just jump into my first question about medical school interviews. What qualities do you think applicants should emphasize during their interview? And how can they effectively showcase them to admissions committees? 
that's a, a very complicated first question. Wow. You're testing me right out of the gate. Sorry. <laughs> I'm like, let's go. Come on. <laughs> Jump right in, right into the center of it. Okay. That's, no, I'm just kidding. It's a common question and it's a complicated answer. So bear with me. And I really hope I can kind of sum this up in a couple, uh, you know, main points, if you will. First of all, when you get to the interview stage of medical school applications, it's really to kind of that last hurdle, if you will. And it's an important stage to get to because your statistics of matriculation really go up when you get to that interview stage. You know, there's a quote that it's a 50-50 chance of getting acceptance from that interview stage. That actually might be a little low even. So there's a very good chance of matriculation once you get to that interview stage of getting acceptance. And so there's a lot that's on the line for interviews. So it's very important to go into those interviews prepared, prepared to do yeah. that day. Now, you can also over-prepare. <sighs> I think I over-prepared, Dr. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know that you're compulsive and like to have things ready, but you're also gifted at speaking. So the ones yeah. <laughs> that over-prepare turn into robots, and I doubt that happened to you. Yeah, because we went over some questions, you and I, um, for MMI, and I had the backbone, but I started, like, when I was preparing for them, I started, don't do this, guys, but I was, like, rehearsing it, and I had to throw it out of the window once I got to the interview. I was like, okay, I just can't think about it because I need to speak naturally, and it all just kind of, for me, yeah, you know, I have experience speaking. I've been doing stuff like this since I was in high school, so it does a little bit come more naturally to me. Yep. But, you know, for someone who like doesn't have that experience, make sure to prepare. But there is such a thing as over-preparing too. Exactly. And I think the line is at scripting. So I would yeah. say do not script answers to common questions. Yeah. I'm a big fan of, of bullet points, you know, two or three things that you want to make sure that you emphasize for some of the common questions. Perfect. But do not script your answers. Because they're looking for genuineness. Admissions committees, medical schools, professional healthcare programs, PA schools, whatever it is, they're looking for humans, not robots, not, not yeah. people that cannot interface and connect with people. Because one of the hardest parts of a physician's job or a physician assistant's job, whoever it is, is connecting with people. And that sounds weird because like, oh, I can pretty much sit down and chat with anybody. But yeah. if you look at the environment that I spent my career in, in the emergency department, sometimes those people aren't always easy to connect with. You know, Oh, they, yeah. They might have a head injury. They might be intoxicated. They might have a psychiatric breakdown. They might have an injury that's distressing them or they're comatose, whatever it is, just the anxiety of having a condition that necessitates presenting to the emergency department makes it harder to interface with people. So really having that skill of being able to connect with people, easily connect with people, have and you know, have that ability to not only just connect with them, but kind of ease their anxiety, quell their fears of whatever it is that's yeah. most distressing. 
Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting. This isn't related to the interviews, but that you bring up connection and there's such a difference between specialties. I worked in an ER and I worked in a dermatology clinic in the (laughs) ER. So in the ER, it's very different. They're at their worst time of their life usually. And it's like really hard to establish a connection or have a conversation with them when they're in so much pain. Whereas in the dermatology clinic, you know, they're just coming up for their, most of the times their annual skin check. And I really admired how my dermatologist specifically connects with people. He sits down and the first thing he asks is not regarding your illness or your anything that's going on with you, but he's like, he's known these patients for 30 years. He's like, how's your family? How was your vacation in North Carolina over the summer? He always enters in with some personal story or connection, or even if he doesn't know them, he'll, he's like wearing a shirt or the patient is wearing a shirt about something that reminds me of something like today, a patient was wearing a shirt of a bear and he walks in and he's like, you know, grizzly bears are really bad and we should stay away from them. And he's just starting about talking about grizzly bears. So anyway, I just thought that was a fun story to share. (laughs) Exactly. And that's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum, but also equally as difficult because you know, you're trying to make this therapeutic connection with someone and a dermatologist yeah. has very, very limited time with patients and a very narrow mm-hmm. focus to what they're doing. So I applaud this person that you work with for being so personable and in a kind of making that connection. Yeah. It's a lot easier when he has a scribe too, who does That's all of the charting and the prescriptions. <laughs> That is a wonderful addition to modern medicine. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. So back yeah, to the, the humanism, I think, is what we were talking about for exactly. quality. Mm-hmm. Showing that genuineness, showing your humanity, uh, being able to try to connect with your interviewer. Now, that's not always possible. In fact, I remember vividly my interview at University of Minnesota back in 1991. Oh, wow. That's a long time. It doesn't feel that long. <laughs> really, it, it goes so fast, guys. It's crazy. No. <laughs> one of my interviewers never made eye contact with me. Never, mm. I mean, stared down at notes, never looked up. But I kind of went into my high school theater days, I guess, and just pretended like I was connecting with somebody and was able to try to keep that enthusiasm and energy level, even though the interviewer wasn't giving me what I needed. Yeah. I did the same thing in mine because, you know, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, don't they sometimes try to be cold on purpose or is that just like <laughs> a myth? <laughs> just to try to like stir the pot and like make you. I would hope not, but I bet you there are some people that intentionally do that. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I, this was like a rumor I heard from my pre-med friends. I was just like, oh, is that why he was not? I don't know. I, I refuse to look at the world like that, but in reality, yes, you're right. There are probably some people that do that, but yeah, I have not experienced that. I've been on admissions committees, and it's not that I'm trying to be cold in an interview when I'm interviewing students. It's more so I'm trying to be objective, mm. and you know, you can still be objective and be kind of empathetic and connect with people, but it's a whole different discussion. But back to your question, what should students kind of emphasize during their interview. Number one, emphasize your ability to communicate. Yeah. Emphasize your enthusiasm for being there. (laughs) Thank them. Thank them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am so lucky and blessed to be in this interview. I cannot thank you enough. Yeah. You know, show that enthusiasm. 
show that emotion, be dynamic, be dynamic yeah. in your speech. I mean, nothing more boring than a monotone professor, right? So, I oh my gosh, <laughs> physiology and pharmacology at a PA program. And when I see the students drifting off, it's like, oh, oh I better put some kind of dynamic changes here in, into what I'm talking about because, you know, monotone is boring. So, you know, be enthusiastic, be dynamic, be gracious, be humble, be humble. That's a lot, but yes. <laughs> be humble. Be exciting, be humble. Um, because yeah. nobody wants this arrogant person. They yeah. want confidence, but not arrogance. Mm. Here's, here's the difference. Here's the difference. Confidence is objectively stating your accomplishments. Arrogance is qualifying and is better than someone else. Okay. Yeah. That sounds bad. <laughs> it's this is a great point though to be making. And I, we referred to a little bit on our pod as well about that difference of like you want to show that you're ready for the process, you're ready for the program, but you don't want to show that like you're like perfect for it and like you expect to be great. Like you kind of want to find that nice medium yeah. of like, I'm ready to embrace all the challenges and things that can happen, but also like I'm ready to be taught too. No, I know I don't know everything and I'm ready yeah. to learn from the people that are masters of it. And one thing I was going to bring up too. So my interview was online over Zoom. And I know you're talking about like trying to be engaging and trying to be in that moment and, and look fun. What were some recommendations you would have for providing people that have to do that online style or more of this kind of new world of interviews to do that same thing you're saying, but over this type of a platform? Great question, Ryan. So, you know, you can use still your use your hands, right? Over Zoom, not too much, but, you know, add it when it's appropriate. Uh, changing the tone, the pitch, the volume yeah. of your speech appropriately. You know, just putting that energy into it where the energy is appropriate. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I was, Um, I know you can't really see this viewers, but I was sitting up straight and I was trying to like use my hands a little bit, just a little bit to emphasize some of my points. And during my MMI and... I thought it was just kind of funny just for myself. I had six rounds with different interviewers. I jump in each one and I'd say the same thing. Hi, before I answer this question, thank you so much for having me. And I love being here and I can't thank you enough. And my name's Alexia. And all right, here's what I'm going to say. But I was just like, it just kept going on and on for a, a whole hour, but there was a new person every interview. So, <laughs> and I'm so glad you did that. I think we actually talked about that. We did. Yeah. That was a, like a great piece of advice you gave me. So thank you again. It's so easy to get focused on the prompt yeah. you're given because then after you're given the prompt, the, the facilitator comes on the screen. Yeah. It's, it's kind of almost natural just to jump into your response in, but so glad that you, you know, still introduced yourself. Yeah. That gratitude. I'm sure that went a long way. I hope so. And it was kind of hard though, reading the prompt because they would copy and paste it into the Zoom chat. And it was like this huge prompt. And I was like scrolling for like a minute. I'm like, okay, I think I understand what it says. And I were six rounds. I felt like I did well in all of them, but one, I misread the question and I was answering it. And they were like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I don't know. I was like, wait, let me look at the question again. And they were like, what? And I was like, oh my gosh. And then I had like no time left. So that was only one. But yeah, it's hard in that little Zoom box. <laughs> it really is. I mean, advantage of it is it's a lot cheaper than having to fly around the US. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 
Yeah. The, the disadvantage is you're absolutely right. And Ryan, back to your point, it's so hard to connect with people over this screen mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, there's a downside to these Zoom interviews. Yeah, I definitely prefer them though than to spending all that money flying out because I, I have an interview on the East Coast and I was like, oh my gosh, and imagine having to fly because that's how it was, I think, three years ago before COVID. I, I don't think yeah, many of the, were any of the medical schools online interviews? Nope. No, that's, no. that's crazy. Or yeah. I guess it was normal back then, but it seems that's crazy to me now. <laughs> I got a a question to ask too uh, about kind of that thing. So I know that some programs now are trying to go back to the in-person, but then leaving the Zoom as an option for someone who's kind of worked in that world of like that admission side, is there like a like subjective, like preference given to either one or the other? Or does that actually like impact your application or is it really people do a great job trying to keep both as separate if there's like a barrier for someone who can't come, even though the other people are able to come? It's a great question, Ryan. And Actually, we just went through this. We had our interviews for our PA program at Bethel, where I'm on faculty. And we had about a dozen people that Zoom interviewed, and the rest were in person. Oh, interesting. We did have that as an option. We did. And Mm. it was interesting because when we were kind of discussing where we were going to put people as far as whether to offer them acceptances or not, whether or not they or a Zoom interview or not, did not factor, except for those that did it out of pure convenience. Okay? Interesting. Yeah. If you are able to easily travel with very little expense to the interview, then there was a little kind of note made on that. Okay, this person really could have been there. I mean, just to give examples. There was a person that was out of the out of the country because they're um, under a military contract. Okay, yeah, absolutely, that didn't factor in. You know, the yeah. Zoom interview was equitable to an in-person interview. Whereas in somebody that could have driven a couple hours and mm. made a day trip, then we're like, uh, it's kind of unusual that this person chose the Zoom interview format. Okay, what if it was like someone on the opposite side of the country is? And it was really expensive. Like, do you factor in nope, that didn't your factor. socioeconomic status or anything like that? Okay. Absolutely. I mean, I should say if it was somebody that was a plane ride away or mm-hmm. a significant expense to get there, then it was equitable to in person. Okay. All right. Or if yeah. somebody said, because we only had a, two days to choose from. And if they said, hey, I already have work responsibilities, this responsibilities, am I able to do a Zoom interview? Again, we wipe the slate clean as far as that. It was just those that really didn't have a good reason Mm -hmm. that it was a lot more convenient that it was made a note on it. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Well, I want to jump into the differences and effectively preparing for the MMI and the traditional interview. Is there another one I'm missing or is it just those two? Is there like a combination of them? I'd love to just go through like the different types and Let's just chat about how we can prepare for them. Sure. So I'm old. And we've established that. So <laughs> <laughs> the first answer, your first answer. <laughs> no. I'm more traditional. I like the traditional interview format better. Yeah. Because when I've been on the interviewer side of things, my goal is to kind of get to know the student and to kind of see what motivates the student. See. Um, 
you know, what their mission and goals is like and kind of get that three-dimensional picture of what the student is like outside of what you can read on their application. And I think that's done really well in a traditional interview. Yeah. In my interview format, which was created by the same company that created Casper. So mm-hmm. this insights mm-hmm. out of McGill University in Toronto, same company that created Casper, created MMA interviews. So thus, they're very much similar. Now, I understand the push to go to MMI interviews, which much, you know, over time, more and more schools are using, is to create that a little bit more objectivity. Okay. One person interviewing versus another. So if you have two students that are otherwise equal, you know, one interviewer gets an interviewer that sees the world a little bit more optimistically. One gets an interviewer who is a little harsher, greater. Yeah, yeah. They might end up with different kind of scores in their interview. So I understand that the objective of the MMI interview is to be more objective, but you lose mm-hmm. that kind of three-dimensional picture of the student. The third type of interview, which I applaud that this is now becoming a thing, and several schools I've seen this cycle starting to do that, is a hybrid. Mm, yeah. They'll have a traditional interview with one of the faculty. And then they'll have an abbreviated MMI interview format. Yeah, that's actually one of the medical schools. So I have two interviews coming up. One is all traditional. It's two 30 minutes, which is interesting. So one with one and the other with one. And then the other medical school is one hour traditional and like an hour MMI. It's a very long day. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was interesting. That's kind of the best of both worlds, in my opinion. Yeah, I thought that I'm I'm really happy about this because... I love chatting. And so I felt like in my MMI, I was trying to fit in questions to these students because I they all of my interviewers or I think most of them were medical students. And some of them had like similar interests to mine. And I was like, oh, tell me about your experience. And then we'd be cut off and I had to go to the next interview. And so I did feel like I missed out a little bit on that. Sure. So yeah, a traditional hybrid, I think is ideal for me. <laughs> is it ideal? Now, how do you prepare for each one? It's different, very Mm -hmm. different. Um, You know, for a traditional interview, there's kind of the the common questions and the questions that make up 90 some percent of traditional interviews are these questions. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me why you want to be a doctor. Why do you want to come to this school? One of your weaknesses, where you see yourself in 10 to 20 years, one of the biggest issues in U.S. healthcare, and any questions for me. That makes up 90-some percent of traditional interviews. Now, fortunately, some of these left-field questions are gone by the wayside because of how short these interview sessions are. Yeah. So like, if you could be a vegetable, which one would it be and why? <gasps> you know, or you could be a kitchen utensil, which one? I know. Oh, my gosh. When, I, when my friend, I had a friend who interviewed some other school, she was like, we had a question where if you we're going to, we're to establish a colony on Mars. How would you do it? I was just like, what? <laughs> I didn't know that they asked those questions. It's so interesting. Do you know why or the reasoning behind it? I don't because, <laughs> and that's what brings up my point is I get the, the reason why behind other common questions. Yeah. There's a question behind the question basically. Right. Mm-hmm. But those are just useless. I mean, I guess the only thing I could, theorize is to see how a student can think on their feet, but really is not much utility in it. 
Yeah. The only thing I was thinking there too, is that, you know, a lot of the science world is very much like the science brain. And I'm wondering if it's also jogging kind of the abstract part of the brain, the creative part of the brain to come up with a reason for what to answer that question. Uh, it's the only other thing I could think about that might be relevant for those. But if I got the Mars question, I'd be like, well, I really don't want to go to Mars. I like Earth. <laughs> would That's that be answer. a good answer? <laughs> I would accept that, yes. <laughs> On the other hand, I'm a huge sci-fi fanatic, so I'd be like all over it. I'd, I'd oh, my gosh. <laughs> to ferret out all the details of what I was going to colonize Mars. No, I'm just kidding. And Lexi, I'd be in the same boat. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I don't have any interest. <laughs> best way to prepare for a traditional interview is to have some bullet points for those those common questions. Yeah. Things that you want to get across that highlight not only some of your experiences, but also kind of sets you apart from some of your peers. Mm. So really kind of focusing in on some of the unique factors of your application. And everybody's going to roll their eyes. Because you're like, oh, we all took the same classes. We all took the same. Level. No, what's unique about me? That's exactly it. Everyone is unique. Everyone is unique. Whether it's you know a hobby, an interest, a, a passion project, whatever, we're all unique. So yeah, at least highlight that in one area. Now, as yeah. far as preparing for an MMI format, that's. A lot different, and there's a lot of different practice questions out there. First of all, I think it's a waste of time to read endless ethics books. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. because the the point is not to test your depth of ethics knowledge. What the admissions committee is are looking for in these MMI responses is your thought process. Yeah. Your, Ability to navigate through these scenarios. Yep. I actually gave you my kind of self-made algorithm that I've come up with for that. Right, Alexia? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to go through it? I have it actually pulled up on my end too. <laughs> well, first question, did it help? Yes. Oh my gosh. It really kept me on track. Because, <laughs> you know, I feel like in the MMI, it could be really easy to go off the rails and start just ranting about something, but it gave me an outline to go by. So it really did help. Good. I ask the people a lot and that's usually the response I get just to kind of validate that. Okay. Cause I, I truly did make this up. Yeah, I know. I, <laughs> <laughs> I know. So let's go through that, that algorithm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want me to, to um, share? I can, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. You can share too. Yeah. It's your algorithm. Okay, so <laughs> you'll have to keep me on track though make sure that i'm doing this correctly <laughs> sounds good i guess number one is, uh, is like we talked remember to introduce yourself and thank whoever new is on the screen yes number with enthusiasm two, with enthusiasm number two is to give a brief summary of the prompt just to kind of orient everybody to what you're talking about a one sentence at max here we're dealing with this person that has this issue next is you identify the ethical pillar that you want to kind of center your discussion around. Yep. This is an issue of autonomy or justice or benevolence or non-maleficence. Yes. Then you and... talk about the two sides of that pillar. Mm -hmm. On the one side, I see this. On the other side, I see that. Then yep. finally, definitively outline 
how you would handle that situation. And there's two corollaries to that last one. Corollary A is no waffling. Yes, yeah. So words like <laughs> possibly or maybe are out. You have to be definitive. Okay. Corollary number two is you are never alone. Mm-hmm. Reach out. Reach out for help. Talk to the patient. Look at the chart. Talk to colleagues. Consult somebody specifically. Talk to admin, legal, ethics yep. committees. Um, endless tools in your toolbox to reach out to to help you navigate this. Yes. And there's one more, too, oh, at the end. <laughs> what was Take that? advantage of the golden minutes. Oh, thank you. <laughs> the most important. Wow. I'm, see, I'm glad that you were there with, with the... Uh, <laughs> So the golden minutes is what Alexia was talking about, where after your response, you have to kind of read the room a little bit. You have to be a little savvy to see if uh, <laughs> the facilitator is willing to engage. Yeah. And just try to strike up a conversation. How long have you been at the school? Yeah. It's your role at, the, at this institution? Because you don't always know these facilitators could be a student, like you said, or it could be an administrator, mm-hmm. could be a faculty member. And just... You know, go from there, converse from there, because those golden minutes can really set you apart, make you stand out. Yeah. And to give the audience like a time frame for it, mine was about six to seven minutes per interview. So you had like two minutes to read it and about like three to four minutes to answer. And that last like one to two minutes were those golden minutes where I'd ask a question or I noticed like maybe they were wearing a shirt where it said research institution. I wanted to ask a little bit more about that. So yeah, take advantage of those golden minutes at the end. I want to talk a little bit about the differences between ethical pillars. For those of you who haven't taken psychology yet or have not taken the MCAT yet, we have beneficence, non-maleficence, patient autonomy, and justice. Beneficence is what is in the patient's best interest. Whereas non-maleficence is that do no harm. And then autonomy, you know, patients have their own autonomy for their care. And then justice is making you ensure fairness and equity across your, your patient care. Did I get all that right? <laughs> I think Beautiful. I think so. Okay. Yeah. That's as far as the ethics knowledge you really need. Yeah. Yeah. Those four pillars. And it really doesn't matter which pillar you choose for that scenario, as long as you center your kind of discussion around that pillar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I honestly, I didn't just pick one. I sometimes would involve two sure, or honestly, even all of them, if it was a very complicated question. So, but if you just pick one, I think that's okay too. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I got a really challenging question for you if you're ready for it. I'm ready. I'm ready. From Minnesota to Minnesota here, I'm going to challenge you. So from the over from the PA perspective, we don't have a lot of MMIs in our interview world, maybe yet, but at least right now it's not very big. And I guess I wanted to ask just your opinion. Do you think that they actually work? Because I know a lot of the idea was to try and pull the applicant off of the page, make it not about the numbers, make it about the person and their character. But I know we've talked to a lot of pre-health people on our podcast where they say that they can theoretically memorize the right answer and get by the thing. And it really didn't test their actual kind of who they were as a person. So I'd love just to know you, do you think it actually helps from an admissions point? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think this is just a duplicate of Casper. Yeah, that's how it feels. 
our program is debating on adding Casper. We're choosing not to at this point just because Casper doesn't have a lot of validity to it yet. They don't have a mm. scoring system yet. So if that comes out, then we're going to be more apt to use it. But Ryan's correct. There are ways you can kind of game this. I mean, we gave you an algorithm just now to help you through it, but there's actually <laughs> books on how to game it. Yeah. Yeah, there is. Oh my gosh. Which just say- tells you all you need to know. <laughs> so does it help? I would say that it's not a great help right now. Again, I'm more of a traditional interview fan. Okay. Uh, if you have a very savvy and experienced facilitator, they can probably pick up on somebody who's gaming it or yeah. you know, genuine about their responses. So I would say there's a little bit of utility in that. But if you're a school that's already using Casper, and most either use Casper or the preview, which is AMC's version right. of Casper, I would say sticking to a traditional format is, is a better avenue, in my opinion. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, it is the exact same as Casper, um, just recorded. <laughs> Casper's recorded. You know, it's the scenarios actually played out and acted, which is kind of exciting. And then you just... <laughs> Write your answer that you would normally say during the MMI. You'd write it out if you weren't already familiar with the Casper. Yeah, maybe now's a good time to actually go through some of the MMI questions, some popular ones. I have that list that actually you gave me um, in all my bullet points. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have a lot of bullet points. So let's see what's a good one. You know, since we have... uh, you're an emergency room physician and Ryan, are you interested in ER? I forget. My whole background is ER, but I'm not necessarily, that's not really a right. path I want to go. But I was an EMT. I know. Cause like you were a paramedic. Years. I was like, not sure if you're yeah. okay. Well, yeah. I worked in the ER. How about this? Here's an ethical scenario. You are an emergency room physician taking care of a patient who has come in requesting painkillers for his back. After a physical examination, you find no injuries or other causes of pain. You review his medical chart. And realize that he frequently comes to the hospital requesting painkillers. You politely tell the patient that you cannot provide painkillers. He tells you that he will inject himself with heroin if he, if he does not get the painkillers. What do you do? Enter the room and proceed with the conversation. So that last sentence there, if this was in person, you would read this actually outside of the room on a door. And you would take the two minutes to read it and then walk inside and the interview would be inside. But virtually, I read it in a Zoom chat. <laughs> But yeah, I guess we can go through it. So I guess I can ask you both, Dr. Delsey, you, you already know, but um, maybe Ryan, what ethical pillar would you? Oh, I'm not. Oh, you're going to make me use the algorithm? I didn't do MMIs for my actual <laughs> This is probably the hardest for me. Oh, shoot. Well, maybe okay, so, maybe I <laughs> Okay. So yeah, so I think for me, it's probably, this comes around to the patient's quality of life. This is really where I feel like the biggest problem is, is pain is a real thing. But we also have an ethical obligation not to just hand out pain meds to everybody. So there's your problem. And also the patient expressed a risk of future harm. So that's also now a concern for us as a clinician is we don't want to promote things that involve future harm. The correct answer, it's a challenging situation. I'm inclined to definitely have a longer conversation with this patient about options available, about risks of trying pain meds versus not, and really kind of have a really provider and patient interaction to come down to an answer that works for both of us where we can find that median ground. That would be kind of at least the way that I would approach it. But that's coming from the guy who didn't do any MMIs. (laughs) That's pretty good. Perfect. Nailed it. So good. I mean, wow, you really missed out on an opportunity there. (laughs) 
this is not scary for me because this is something I dealt with every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and a real problem. Right. Another unfortunate thing. You know, first off, I guess if we were doing this, I would uh, walk in and, you know, introduce myself. I'm yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pleasure to meet you. It's nice to have this opportunity today. And then I would, first of all, identify the ethical pillar, which yes. would be, in my opinions, you could choose any of them, really. But what stands out for me is benevolence, which is yes. do the right thing. And you could add non-maleficence because you don't want to do any harm either. Yeah. I wrote those two. Exactly. <laughs> there are those. You can't go wrong. I mean, you could choose any of these as long as it matches with what you're talking about. Mm, okay. I would say that it's important that when I'm speaking with this patient, that I acknowledge their pain, like Ryan pointed out. Yeah. Experiencing pain. Acknowledge that the difficult situation that they're in and how they try to kind of meet them at their level. I understand that you're miserable, that you only see these two options. Then I would try to kind of educate them on alternative options, which are a much better future for that patient. You know, yeah. offer, you know a non-narcotic pain medication. I would offer an addiction program. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. I would at the end of the day, still saying, well, it's either this or this, you know, it's up to me as, or you, whoever's taking care of this patient to decide, okay, what is best for this patient? Yeah. In these ethical scenarios, you know, there's no right or wrong answer as long as you kind of justify how you got to that decision. Yeah. Yeah. I think you really nailed it. I mean, obviously you wrote this question <laughs> or you got, you put this question on the document. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I wrote some, some other things like I wrote in my bullet point, I would bring up discussion questions. I'd say, yeah, like the opioid addiction treatment center and addiction treatment center. But I was also brought up, you know, sit down and have a conversation with him and validate what he's feeling. It must be horrible that you were in so much pain and I want to be able to help you. So let's figure this out together you know, make it a team approach and not an you versus them. Because I feel like in a situation like this, and I did see this a lot in the ER where it was like, they come in and they'd be so angry with you because you wouldn't provide them what they needed and what they believed that they needed for them in their life and how they felt in that moment. But, and you don't want that relationship. You don't want it to be an us versus them. You want it to be a team approach. And so that's something I wrote. Okay, cool. And, yeah. you know, something I, uh, I don't know if I struggled this with MMIs, but sort of like ending, I guess, how do you delineate the approach for this question? Because I actually struggled with this one. Sure. I think it's good to, especially in the virtual environment, even whether it's MMI or traditional, to kind of bookmark where end is. Yeah. In the traditional interview format, it's easy. I just use the trick of echoing a small piece of the question. And that's a little bit about me. And that's why I want to be a doctor. So that hands off the baton back to your interviewer without that awkward, you know, time. Oh, are they done? Are they done? Oh, they're not done. Oh, they're done. No, they're not done. So kind of okay. off the baton, if you will, uh, especially in the Zoom environment. And same thing with MMIs. You could, you, if you're in a role play situation like that, you could say, well, this is where I need to step out and make some arrangements or whatever, or uh, the nurse will be in shortly with your discharge paper. However you want to do it, if you're in a role play situation, or if you're not, just kind of echo a piece of the scenario. And that's how I would handle this particular situation. Okay. 
Awesome. All right. That was a good one. Maybe I can do another one <laughs> on this little list I have. You're having fun right now, Lexi. Sorry? You're having fun right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is good for me. <laughs> I want to go off script for one second, Alexi, if you will. Of course. We'll mm-hmm. come back to those. I do want to talk about the question of, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself. I know we're kind of focusing on MMI interviews. Yeah, um, yeah, please. On the traditional interview uh, format, because that's one of the few questions that will come at an interviewee that's done a little bit differently. Okay. In my opinion, is done wrong a lot. And again, this is my opinion. If you ask a hundred different physicians that have been on admissions committees, they probably give you a hundred different kind of opinions on how to approach this. But from my experience, that question of tell me a little bit about yourself is really your only chance to paint that three-dimensional picture of you outside of what's on your application. Okay. So really sticking to kind of where you're from, what your family's like, kind of what it was like in your environmental milieu of formidable years, how you grew up, what that was like. Wow. What was interesting to you? What kind of molded you as you became a young adult? And then ending with kind of current hobbies and interests outside of the professional and academic environment to really show who you are, which can set you apart from a lot of your other peers as far as, you know, your unique hobbies, interests, and passions. So a lot of students tend to want to kind of almost give a rundown of their application or their, I went to school here, I did this in school, I got this degree, I'm currently doing this research. And it's like, okay, that stuff's all in your application. You know, it's not a good use of your time just to repeat that. Talk about stuff that they don't know about you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think what you shared about family too, I think that also ties in for a lot of people about why they want to be a doctor. And so how do you differentiate your answer to that question? Tell me a little bit about yourself and why do you want to be a doctor? Because tell me a little bit about yourself can oftentimes lead to that answer, the same answer for that because they can be the same. Exactly. And that's why those bullet points are so important because you want to save that information because that question is inevitably going to come up. So for example, the way not to do it, you talk about what kind of motivated you to become a doctor and the tell me about yourself question. Then they say, well, tell me what made you want to be a doctor. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I just told you that. And you know, the answer is almost deflated, if you will. Mm, Okay. So that's why keeping it more just to where you came from, what your family was like, yeah. What interest you growing up, that type of thing. And then, you know, when you get into the what motivated you to be a doctor, kind of then you can go into a new story of what part of that family or whatever. Yeah, whatever reason mm-hmm. to go into medicine. But then it's not just about the why you want to be a doctor. It's the question behind the question is why you will be a good doctor. So then going into highlighting okay, I did this experience, I did that experience, I gained these skills, I gained this wisdom, which will now help me succeed at that next step. Awesome. Awesome. I know that for me, I I kind of focus a lot on the tell me about yourself question on why I wanted to pursue higher levels of education. And then I found my passions that helped give me the motivation to be able to succeed in those. And then when it came to like, tell me why you want to be a PA, it was like, well, here's how it fits into what I just told you. This career has all those things that I just told you about and more. So like, that's at least how I approached it in mine. I think that's a great, a great, yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. 
Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, I think we have time for one more question. Should we do an MMI question or? Okay. Yeah. I picked one. It's a popular one. An 18 year old female arrives in the emergency room with a profound nosebleed. You are the physician and you have stopped the bleeding. She is now in a coma from blood loss and will die without a transfusion. A nurse finds a recently signed card from Jehovah's Witnesses Church in the patient's purse, refusing blood transfusions under any circumstance. What would you do? First of all, let me summarize the problem. The patient needs a blood transfusion and will die, but they are Jeho- they are a Jehovah's Witness, or at least that's what it says in the card. So anyway, I'll open up to you guys. <laughs> what ethical pillar would you bring in? I'm going to give you a, another chance to shine because, again, I wrote this. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> here. You, you both know that I'm already in my program, right? I don't need to be answering <laughs> these questions. You want me to do and... it? I'm like still <laughs> yeah, trying. Yeah, Lexi, to you go for school. it this time. <laughs> yeah, show us what you've learned, Lexi. <laughs> okay. All right. So I would bring in multiple ethical pillars into this. First of all, I think about patient autonomy. Right now, the patient has no autonomy because they are unconscious. And so I wouldn't be able to ask them any questions, unfortunately. And they don't have the capacity to consent to having blood. And then I think about the principle of beneficence. So what I think that's a big principle in this case, what would be the patient's best interest? And I really need to think about what that would be. I'd also think about non-maleficence, which is to do no harm. And that's a complicated one because if I do not transfuse, the patient will die and that would cause harm. But then again, if I do transfuse, reflecting on the culture of Jehovah's Witnesses, they receive blood, they may be shunned. And that could cause, you know, psychological harm down the line and also would harm the patient. So it's a very, very difficult question to consider. And so I'd ask multiple questions in the room. I'd ask, you know, was she competent enough to sign the card when she signed it? Or is there a family member with her who can validate her culture and her experiences and that she is a Jehovah's Witnesses? At the time that she signed the card, did she understand what what refusing treatment would mean? Is there a power of attorney in this case or is just family speaking on behalf? I'd also interestingly match the signature with a license. I was really thinking about this question in depth. Wow, you were. (laughs) I get This is why, man, I was over-preparing. Oh, that's good. (laughs) I would discuss with the legal team. I bring legal into this, or I'd ask a a senior physician or someone who maybe has had similar experiences with Jehovah's Witnesses. Are there any other doctor's notes in her chart? I was thinking about this when I was a scribe, actually, because I used to look at previous charts and family medicine practices and see if they were unconscious, if they were competent or had any altered mental capacity in previous notes. So I think about that. And then also how strict does this patient practice their faith? And that would be really just talking to the family about that. And so I discussed two sides of the ethical coin, give her the transfusion or respect her, the wishes that is stated on the card. And in this case, I delineated to respecting the wish the wishes. It is likely that this patient is a, definitely a Jehovah's Witnesses and I would not give them blood. And so that's my answer. <laughs> Is that too long? I feel like that was really long. And that brings up a good point because people ask all all the time, how long uh, should these responses be? It's hard. Mm -hmm. The answer is not time. 
The answer is content. Okay. As long as you're not repeating yourself, it's not too long. If you're repeating Mm -hmm. yourself, it's too long. Okay. So the answer is not time, it's content. I think you did a fantastic job. And again, nobody can fault your decision because you you backed it up with justification, a very well thought out navigation through the scenario. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's one more thing I actually wrote here. I was looking at my document. I would also see if there were any other alternative treatments. (laughs) That's what I was going to say. Nobody, yeah. nobody would fault you for not knowing, oh, you could do some fluid boluses or, or press. Yeah, or, yeah. They don't expect you to know. You're not an ER physician. So mm-hmm. you're on your way, but you don't have to know that level of detail. They're trying to find out how you think through these. And you did that perfectly. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Another ER concept that, again, they would not expect you to know, which is the concept of informed consent. Yes. Mm-hmm. In this situation, I would have actually chosen the alternate decision, not because of you being incorrect, but mm-hmm. just of the that I've had to deal with similar situations. Oh, interesting. You're, you're you're having to decide. Okay, can we intervene? Should we intervene? And informed consent basically means that because the patient presented to that environment, yeah, by default. They want whatever you have to offer. Okay. And my kind of flip side argument was, you know, did that person sign that card years ago? Uh, did their beliefs change? Yeah. All those things. But your answer was 100% A++ perfect. <laughs> you <Thanks. laughs> navigated there in a thoughtful and logical fashion. So Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, you hear that listeners, it's really difficult to get it wrong, but it's make sure to keep that outline, that golden outline we shared, listen back on this episode, if you need a refresher um, and try to get an amount of content in your answer. But yeah. What what else was a plus about your answer too, was the definitiveness of it. Yes. You, you mm-hmm. Waffle on it. You, you, you made your decision and you went with it. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yep. Yeah. You all wanted me to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, those are all of my questions today. Thank you so much, Dr. Nelson, for joining us. Is there any last minute advice or guidance that you'd like to send our listeners out with? Well, first off, thank you guys. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to both of you. Just be yourself. Be yourself. Don't try to be what you think they want you to be. Be yourself. Awesome. Awesome. The exact (laughs) advice we give over at Vitally Stable, that those words are ones (laughs) to live by. All right. Be yourself, guys. This podcast is produced by Ari Rosenthal, Lorelai Edmonds, and Aditi Kalande. You can find our conference on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at National Pre-Health Community or MPHC 2020. You can also find our Instagram at PreHealthPod. Thank you guys so much for joining our research symposium, which was on Sunday, October 22nd. 
It was a very successful event and we had some amazing presenters from all over the country presenting. So if you were there, thank you so much for presenting and joining our medical student panel and research presentation. If you'd like to sign up for our conference in March or our PA event in April, visit us at www.nationalprealconfconf.org and please like, leave a review or tell one friend if you liked our pod. Thanks for listening. And also go check out Ryan's podcast at Fidelity Stable. See you later. <laughs>